Thanks for clicking play on the East Lake Tri-Cities Talks podcast. If you're new to this, we're trying to be the best church option for people in the Tri-Cities who aren't typically into church. We hope today's talk inspires you to take next steps in doing life in the way Jesus modeled and taught. If you're ever interested in being a part of one of our in-person gatherings, they take place every Sunday at the Uptown Theater in Richland. Check the website for current times. And regardless of what you look like, who you voted for, or where your tattoos are, we'd love to have you. But for now, here's our most recent talk. Hey, uh, great to see you. Welcome to East Lake. My name is Brent. I'm the teaching pastor here. Welcome to those of you watching online or on replay. We're so glad that you would take time out of your week to uh, tune in as well. We're so thankful for all the people who make it in uh, in person as well. If you're a first time guest, you picked a great day to come check us out. Here's the reason why. Well, one of the reasons why. One, we give away free coffee. Two, uh, we uh, are starting a brand new series today. We teach in series here, uh, different topics. Uh, if you came because of Easter and that was a kind of a standalone thing, usually it's a part of a teaching series, a block of things about a message uh, or about a topic that I feel like is important to be able to talk about. And we go for however long it takes uh, for you to get sick of it, or I, uh, I get tired of talking about it, one of the two. So the plan is for this one to last about four weeks, and the ti- title is More Like Roommates. And let me paint the picture for you uh, for this series, kind of where we're at as a culture, where we're at as a community, as a church, or, uh, or whatever. Um, part of the allure of Facebook and just social media in general, I think in the infancy, like when it first came out, was it was a really easy way to answer the question, hey, whatever happened to so-and-so, right? And you can go online and be like, oh, he lives in Dallas, two kids, works for a whatever, right? And so that, and if it stayed there, that would be great. But what happened now is like when that question comes, is like, whatever happened to so-and-so, people go, oh, he had Subway for lunch today. I don't know. Don't ask me why I know that. I just saw it on Facebook or whatever, or I saw it on Instagram or something. And it just feels aggressive. It feels like too much information all at once, and, and it's hard to kind of turn off. And so a lot of times then what happened uh, as a result of that, after however many years of it just feeling like, I don't know if I want this much people to know this much about my life. You either got off altogether, uh, smart, or you begin to kind of filter what it, it is that you kind of exported into like this public image. And so it was basically um, things that I found funny. That's a lot of times, if you follow me, this is like, I'm just giving you my strategy. Here's, here's, here's things that I find funny. Here's some sports stuff. Um, you can ignore that one. Just mute that one. That's fine. Uh, here are, here's to let you know that I'm up to date on current events and I know kind of what's going on in the world. Uh, and then here's where you're wrong politically. So it's a really fun space <laughs> to kind of average all of these things out and be able to do these things. And then what happened is we had a ton of time on our hands because for 18 months, everything was kind of shut down. And so uh, we got really good at posting, you know, memes of how to miswear your mask. Uh, that was fun. Uh, current events were like, yes, I indeed did watch Tiger King. And I do think Carol's guilty of everything she's been, you know, uh, charged with. And, uh, and and then like, you know, here's the epidemi- uh, epidemiological reports. Here's the case counts. Like I minored in epidemiology or something like that. So all kinds of different stuff. That was uh, like an interesting phase that we kind of all went through and, and, and evolved from. Meanwhile, that's our like projected self, right? Meanwhile, in our actual self, in our actual home life, what we found with our actual partner, our actual spouse, our actual boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever, and our actual kids, that it didn't take long for our 2,000 square foot home to feel like a 200 square foot home or our 200 square foot apartment to feel like the seventh circuit, you know, Dante's hell or whatever, right? It's just like, uh, that was just a, a reality uh, uh, for us. Uh, or maybe perhaps, and I, I wanna do this series so it doesn't just apply to romantic relationships. I do think a lot of times, even in that phase too, we went through this period where we were like, we were told by experts, right? You need, uh, we, we, need we want you to be social. We recognize the uh, 
relevance of being a social animal and, and you need to have connection with other people, but just filter those. So like figure out your circle. And so we went through this interesting phase like 18 months ago, didn't we? Where we were like, just so you know, you're part of my circle. Like we're, we're and some of us had really big circles. Some of us had really small ones. Uh, but uh, there was like, you, you know, you had to pick and choose who you were gonna like be exposed to and, and, and be around or whatever. And then what happens is you thought this relationship was really good and then you got and they were in your circle and then you started hanging out more and tightly and, and I only get to hang out once every two weeks and I pick this person and you go, why did I, I should have had a better filter for who was in my circle. That's what happened, right? And so then you thought, I'd like to update this and I'd like to export you out and get somebody new in. And here's why you weren't in my circle the first time I drafted my circle, but I really like you now. So that was always a, like a super fun thing to do. And it, it didn't take long for us to be in some sort of relationship, whether romantic or otherwise, where we thought this would withstand the test of time and when pressed, uh, and when you know, ex- uh, exterior circumstances were gonna press on it, we thought it would hold, uh, and then it didn't. And then things begin to what we would call maybe perhaps, you wouldn't use this language, but begin to fray. Like if this, if this relationship was being held on by a rope, fiber by fiber, we watched as it began to kind of tweak out a little bit and, and, and fray in one direction or another. Um, and there's seemingly nothing we could do about this. And we had nowhere to go, nobody to talk to. A lot of times it was, you know, everything was closed. Um, you know, we could talk to people on Zoom, but like Zoom's different, right? No space, no help, no recourse, no resources. Just like this lousy fraying rope that turned out to be not as durable as we thought. And for some of us, the rope ended up breaking on this relationship and, and things happened and it was either divorce or split up or we just, I just don't talk to that person anymore. Uh, and it's really, really hard. We watched this thing that we thought would withstand uh, it, not go through it, not, not survive it. And it didn't fall into the category of funny meme or you know uh, sports take or current events take or, or political take or whatever. Uh, and so there's no real great outlet to kind of allow people to know. And so what happened is we've been absent from people's lives for 18 months. And then if this key relationship in our life frayed to the point of, I don't talk to that person anymore, we're not in a relationship anymore, it was really hard to reintroduce ourselves back into society as a person who no longer is friends or married to such and such person, right? And so for the f- past six to nine months, it's been really, really difficult for a group of people who've watched key relationships in their life fray to the point of, uh, of being gone to be like, here I am and uh, it's just me. And when somebody goes, where's so-and-so? Well, we don't you know, talk anymore or whatever. And that's, that is an incredibly painfully difficult thing to do. So you change gyms, right? Or you change churches or you change jobs. And you change jobs because of the money thing, but the whole relationship thing and, and that, that was a side benefit uh, of it as well. Um, but you got to be an expert and you had to use intentionality and strategy in, tor- in terms of reintroducing for yourself. And it's been awkward for you. And honestly, it's been awkward for just everybody involved. Like we just don't even, everybody, everybody, Everybody is on pins and needles and, and watching people re-emerge from this, looking differently, acting differently, dating people differently, all this kind of stuff. And we're always just like, it's a fun game every time we see some people uh, out, out and around in, in this way. So, and, and side note, real quick, and this is not, that this, this isn't the point of the series, but uh, side note would be simply this, that my hope is that if that was you and your life looks a lot differently than it did two years ago, and you're slowly beginning the reintegration process and it's been painful, and, and, and I understand. My, my, honestly, my prayer would be that church might be the one place where you would feel safe about returning regardless of how things have played out. And just so you know, I'm committed to making that a reality in this church. I would hope that that's true for every church. I can't control other, every other church. What I can control is, or not even, I can't even control this one, but sometimes I'll do my best to make this a place where regardless of how things turned out, 
regardless of where the rope is at or if you're holding one end of the rope and it's frayed beyond repair, that this would still be a place, um, a safe place to be able to be in community um, because anything that's different than that, I think is really just anti-Christ, right? Anti what Christ uh, would have been about. But anyways, that's a, that's a different series and, and different things. But my guess is in addition to that sort of scenario, there are also people who are still hanging on to this rope, right? Uh, the rope is frayed, but it's not uh, irreparable. Uh, it's not broken, it's not whatever, but it is fraying, right? Maybe it was fraying pre-pandemic and it's only gotten worse or whatever, but you're still just as committed perhaps to making this relationship work. And we have kids together, we have a life together, we have this, we have, this friendship has been, we've been friends, we've been best friends for X amount of years. Like, I'm not gonna allow this sort of miscommunication or whatever kind of last in this way or whatever, I, I understand. Uh, then you would say, I'm still in this, but if I had to be honest, and you may not ever put words to it, you would say something to the effect of the language of, it just is starting to feel a little bit more like we're just roommates, right? We share an address, we share kids, we share bills. Um, all, the, all the really exciting stuff in life um, uh, is, is shared. We would used to say we're like ships passing in the night, right? Because we were so busy. And then all of a sudden we just weren't busy. And we were like, we're two ships stuck in the same harbor that can't go anywhere. That's what we would say uh, in, in a different thing. But the language would simply be, um, yeah, it's just beginning to feel a little bit more like uh, roommates. And listen, you know, we're still married and in, in, in from a, and maybe even like nobody knows this, right? Except that you two, and you just are really good at hiding it. Not even your parents or your, your best friends or whatever, but uh, behind closed doors, it's like, I still want to remain married, but this is going to need a little bit of, uh, of work. And um, yeah, I'm just, I don't know. And maybe, maybe this is why you saw this on the mailer. Like we sent out mailers in the community uh, or we talked about this at the end of Easter series. And maybe you're sitting here watching this and you're like, did she know that this was gonna be the topic? Is this why she invited? Is this why we're here today? She's like, we really should go to church today. And you're like, okay, that's kind of weird, but whatever. And now you're like, oh, oh, okay. Message received. I understand what's happening here. Uh, listen, don't get defensive on it. That's just good strategy. Kudos to her or whatever, him or anything like that. But listen, every relationship coming out of this needs some work. We all, we all have our baggage. We all have our things. So don't, please don't take it out on them. We're, we're glad that you're here uh, as a result. Any, either way. Um, and here's what you need to know too. When it comes to church and, and talks on relationships and you know all this kind of stuff. And, and I try not to do uh, a ton of relationship series because um, I just don't feel experienced enough to do it. <laughs> um, but... Uh, and the other part of that is, to be honest, there are not a lot of chapter verses on here's what it takes to be a, you know, in a healthy relationship. There are a few verses on marriage and relationships, but in terms, in terms of there's, this is not a how-to manual. It's never been, never been intentionally supposed to be read like that. Uh, there are tons of books on them, a lot of them Christian books, but in terms of actual scripture verses, there's not a, a chapter or verse in the Bible. It's like, here's where you go to discover healthy sexual relationships or a good long-term friendships or whatever. It just doesn't exist. And in terms of examples, in terms of, well, let's look at the examples of what we have in scripture. There are more negative examples of marriages in scripture than there are positive ones. There are some really, really bad ones. Here's a really bad one. Are you ready for this? So there's a, one of the minor prophets. So in the Old Testament, you've got major prophets, minor prophets. Um, Isaiah, Jeremiah being some of the major, just in terms of you know size of the of the text, and then the minor ones are a lot smaller. One of the the minor prophets uh, that doesn't mean anything about his character, or who he was, but was commissioned by God to go marry a prostitute named Gomer. Now that is, if there's not a more appropriate name for an occupation, I don't know what is. You know what I mean? Uh, 
So this guy was commissioned, got this, I, I received a, a word from the Lord. Imagine telling your friend, I'm like, I feel like God spoke to me. Really? Wow, that's powerful. I'm supposed to marry a prostitute named Gomer. Wow. <laughs> your first question is, is that a real name? You know what I mean? Anyways, so he, and here's why. Because God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go engage in this marriage. I want you going into this, knowing full well that she's gonna cheat on you. Because I want you to write about how I feel about my chosen people of Israel. I liken it to a marriage and they're cheating on me. So you, as a part of research, go. And, and he's probably like, is there like a PowerPoint presentation or something that we could do that's, or a book or an article I could share? Something a little bit easier. This feels aggressive in this way. Um, and he's like, no, I, I really want you to kind of go do this. And he's like, I know I said, I'll, I'm, you know, you call me where and I'll go. But I was thinking like mission strip Costa Rica sort of thing. And you're, you're throwing me a curveball and I have to kind of, you know, anyway. So marriages in here, there's not, there's, there's plenty of, of bad ones to be able to point to and look at. So I wanna talk about more like roommates for a couple of weeks. And here's what I wanna do with this. I wanna take a unique approach to this that we really haven't done. I, I don't know ever in, in, in this, but um, I wanna do it a couple of different ways. You're, you show up, uh, and uh, maybe we, maybe you've been coming to Eastlake for a while. Maybe you're, you're new-ish, newer. Um, and uh, I want to uh, offer this first section of this series as kind of, as your pastor, here's what I would say. If we went out to coffee, and, and you said, you said, Pastor, I need to meet with you or whatever. I, I, I just, um, it's going to be about our, my relationship with my, my significant other or this friendship that I really like, it's, it's been tough. And uh, it's beginning to feel a little bit this way. What kind of advice would you have for me? I, I, I approached this topic today from that perspective. As your pastor, here's what I would say. Now, knowing full well uh, that I might not be your pastor, right? This is just, this is the place that I come on Sundays. You, you have no moral authority in my life. I don't assume to. So that's fine. Uh, but if, if I did, this is kind of what I would say in that. And then next week, you're gonna hear from uh, my parents who have been married for more than 40 years. I was gonna actually put a number in there, but I'm actually not exactly sure how many years, which I know that's, that just reflects bad on how bad of a son I am. Uh, but I know I'm 39 and they had, they were, had me before, you know, anyways. Um, <laughs> So I did the math uh, on that. So more than 40 years is, is how long they've been married. And so, because I know that there might be some people who like hear me say, well, here's what I would do. And you're like, yeah, but you guys have been married for uh, only, and I should do the math on this one too, but I'm, I'm uh, 16 plus years. Uh, you've been married for, for this long. Um, uh, you know, what, what do you even know? You haven't been through kind of the ups and downs of, of whatever. So that's, I'll grant you that. So you're going to hear next week from somebody who's been married for 40 plus years. Um, and so it's going to be from as your pastor or as somebody who's kind of a, like a wise old sage or a, a mentor sort of, of thing. And here's the beauty of having somebody like my parents come in. I've been able to see their marriage from behind closed doors my whole entire life. I know I can, I can speak. If you trust me, like, I'm passing on that validity to them about why they, because there's other people who may come and maybe even speakers who have written, <laughs> this is always the classic one, somebody who wrote a book on relationships, five years later, they're divorced. You're like, was that good? Were they not good? I don't know. What do I do with this book now? You know, do I donate it at a thrift store? How does this happen? Uh, that is not gonna be the case for next week. And then in the third week, it's gonna be, we're bringing in a, somebody who does this professionally, uh, a counselor, her name's uh, uh, Jennifer Dean Hill. She's in, in the area. And so it's gonna be a, from your pastor, from somebody who's been there before, and then from somebody who does this professionally. Here's what I would do. Here's what we would say when it comes to, when relations feel more like roommates, go here and do this. So that's the plan for the series. And then I'll come up at the very end and do like a wrap up thing uh, in week four. So you know, mark your calendars. If that sounds interesting to you, then, then, you know, prioritize it in your schedule and make it part of it. But all right, as your pastor, here's what I would say. 
if we were sitting down, I would say, uh, I would start by saying, well, here, here's, here's what's true about you that you may not even realize. Your relationships, your uh, intimate companion sort of life relationships, whether romantic or not, are critically important. They are not one thing amongst other things. They are not, it's, it, sometimes we approach it as this is in disarray, but everything else seems to be good. I mean, my jobs are good, my, my, my kids are fine. Uh, everything everything else, else seems to be good. I don't know why this is affecting me so much. We, we, we'd say, uh, you know, we have uh, an ability to compartmentalize our lives and act like I, this shouldn't, this is a big, I know it's a big deal, but this shouldn't be affecting so much about my life. And when this is a mess, I'm just telling you, it affects everything. That's the unique thing about this. And here's, I think, one of the reasons why. Early on in scripture, these types of companion relationships, this types of, of being in community, being fully known by somebody and fully loved anyways, um, whether in friendship or romantic, it doesn't matter. It's, it shows up from the very beginning. In fact, in Genesis chapter two, before there was an apple, before there was a snake, before sin entered the world, before everything changed in the, in the story, a couple of things happened. One, uh, man was given a job. And when I, say, when I say man, it just meant Adam was the basic word for mankind. Mankind was given a job. They were given something to do. Meaning work didn't come out as a result of sin. God was like, you sin, now you're gonna have to work for 40 years until you can afford not to work, right? From the very beginning, you were created with a sense and a feeling of my life will be unfulfilled unless I have something I'm working on or working towards, or I can step back on something and say, I made that, I did that. I'm being some sort of a beneficial presence in the world, either to my family, to my friends, or to my community. I'm doing something. To have something to do is a big deal. So when you don't have something to do, don't be surprised when it affects negatively your psyche as a, as a whole person, right? And then secondly, it shows up in chapter, uh, chapter two, verse 18. It is not good that man should be alone. And that's not because men, we can't leave men alone. We know that, right? It's, that, it's, it's again, speaking in that general term for mankind. And it's not good for people who are created in this way to be alone, to operate in isolation. They were built, you were built for community. Community is critically important. Um, this is something that when you, when, when you lack this, when you lack a, a, an environment when you lack a relationship of being fully known and fully loved, there will be something missing and it will affect everything about life. That's not to like downplay, it's to, to, to really to build this up and be like, this is why it's so critically important. You were created for this. Why do I struggle with this? Why is it that I can't seem to grasp this? Why can't I just forget about this and move on with life and be good at other things and that be enough? Why can't I get over this? Why is this, why is all of the rest of all of these good things not enough for me? And the reason is this was part of your creative process this is a part of who you were created to be in community known fully known to be in companionship with other people this is why later on in the ecclesiastes in this book about like this awesome postmodern book about life and questioning everything when, when everything is on the table for questioning, I mean, that's essentially the point of Ecclesiastes. Why do anything? Why toil under the sun? Nothing seems to work. Why, why engage in this? It's all gonna be gone anyways. Everything, everything we build is just, you know, with a breath gone or, or whatever can, can fall apart. And yet even in the midst of all of this kind of flimsiness, here's what this person, this author of wisdom offers to us. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. Pity anybody who falls and has nobody else to help them up. 
even when everything else is flimsy, like it's so good to do this with someone else, to have somebody else. If you've ever traveled alone, you know this is great. This view is great. But what would make it greater would be to do it with somebody else, to share this perspective and to share this view with other people. If you've ever gone on a trip, you're like, man, this has been so fun to invite someone you know, with me or even my kids with me, somebody to share this view with. Why? Because this is totally true about your psyche and your personality. Number three, uh, another verse of this showing up is in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22. This is to be the, the life curriculum that Jewish dads and moms would raise their kids thinking, this is our heritage, this is where we come from. Make sure every kid growing through your household, by the time they graduate into their own home, have kind of like these Proverbs underneath their belts for, to help kind of live and function in society well. He who finds a wife finds what is good and receives favor from the Lord, right? This idea that you, when you find this, that is, this is a good thing. When you find somebody to share this with that, you were created for that. You're feeling a, a life-forgiving need. So therefore, as a result of that, I would, I would sit down and for the very first part, and when you say, I don't know why my life is, you know, uh, 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 I don't know why I can't get over this. Here's why. Companionship in all of its various forms is worth the effort. It takes a lot of work and it is worth it every single time. Now, what I've noticed about this side of the pandemic is in the last six months, I would say, something that stood out to me as a, a pastor who, um, you know, we, we do what we do on Sunday mornings, but we're also always trying to kind of integrate people in the community beyond this, um, is people right now are in a season where we have a reticence to overload ourselves with additional responsibilities, right? We went through a phase where, um, you know, pre-pandemic, we said yes to everything and we were just crazy running around like nuts, right? And so busy. And then all of a sudden we had no other options, no options to do. And that felt really good for a while. Uh, and then we got used to saying, no, no, I can't. No, I won't. No, 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 no. Then we, like, we kind of fell in love with like um, uh, ourselves again a little bit, right? And our ability to do things by ourselves. And I don't need to go have all of those things. I'm good. Like, my little ranch, my little home, my little something, my little hobbies, my little something to kind of dive into. We got really good at saying no to things. We begin to uh, uh, work decision-making through a different sort of grid. Is this worth my time? And for a, a lot of, uh, of scenarios, we could write it off by, well, I don't want to put myself at risk for that or, or whatever. But um, we, we've, said, uh, we, we've said no to a, a lot of things. And I by the way, I think that's been somewhat healthy for us, right? I, I don't want to be like, no, come on, extroverts unite, let's go be crazy again. What I'm, what I'm saying is um, we've begun to filter things through a grid of, is this worth my time? Is this worth my energy? Is this worth my effort? And we've been easier transcending to say kind of, kind of no to this sort of thing. And that's been good. However, when it comes to something like this, this is such a significant, when, when, when community's on the line, when, when being fully known and fully loved, when, when, uh, when you've gotten out of a long-term relationship, be like, I don't know, I invested so much into this and then it was gone in an instant. And it's really hard for me to kind of get up the energy to go back into something like that Maybe it would just be easier for me to do life, not alone. I mean, I have friends and whatever, but like, uh, but like in a different way, just do it for me. My encouragement to you be like, listen, as good as that sounds and as easy as that sounds, commitment or, 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 or these kind of 
this kind of a relationship, this kind of companionship is worth the effort. We are committed. Uh, those who are committed to doing life with, uh, that you're committed to doing life with deserve the best of our time and the weight of our investment. It is a solid investment to be able to go into because I think you're created in that way. So that's like the why, right? Behind, you know, I, would, I would try, if we were sitting around doing coffee, I would say, listen, I know it hurts. I know it's painful. I know you don't want to go back into this to kind of make this thing work. Uh, but but uh, relationships are worth the effort. They're worth whatever it is to, to be able to put into it. And then the question becomes of how, right? So it's uh, not a method of, uh, of motivation, but of methodology. Um, how do I do this? Um, and, and as your pastor, if I was to say, uh, you came to me and said, feels more like roommates to me, the, the rope is frayed, it's not frayed completely, and I'm committed to making this thing work, but what would you suggest uh, I do? I would probably point uh, early on in this relationship towards uh, the Old Testament, towards a passage that shows up in the book of Deuteronomy, which is kind of a weird book to kind of preach on relationships from. But if you've ever read through the Old Testament, um, you know that, like maybe you did the whole, I'm gonna read through the Bible uh, in a year, right? And you did Genesis and that was great. It was easy, lots of cool characters come through there. Um, and then you got to Exodus, you're like a little bit slower, a little harder, but the first part was really good, escaping from Egypt. Then you got to Leviticus, you're like, what, the skin disease is happening going on? And so then you get to Numbers, Deuteronomy. And in Deuteronomy, when we read Deuteronomy, it does, it feels a little bit like, I feel like I've read this before. I don't know if you've ever taken like a beach trip or whatever, you, brought a, you bought a book and you had a bookmark and then somehow it got lost in the sand or whatever, you picked it back up and you're like trying to guess where you were at. And you're like, this looks about right. And you put it in there. And then later on you get to reading and you, you start reading and it takes you like six or seven pages but to realize I've already read this before. I, I, I'm like, what a waste of my time. That sort of feeling, everybody who's laughs is like, I did that this week. That's, that's like my life. Some of you are like, I've done that to entire books before. It took me to the end of the book to be like, Frodo throws the ring in the thing. I think I've read this before. You're like 800 pages later, like, good for you, man. Keep living that life. It's good. Must be, must be nice. Uh, anyways, when you read Deuteronomy, it reads a little bit like that. You read it, you go, I think I've been here before. And that's the format. That's intentional. The format of it was simply this, uh, this idea of a dramatic retelling of a story just prior to entering into the land. The narrative that was created was, all right, the Israelites have come out of Egypt. They've done their wandering in the desert. God is retraining them what it means to be my people and to be a people. They've come out of slavery. Their whole mindset has been produce, produce, produce. I am what I produce. I wanna shed them of that. I want to reintroduce Sabbath to them. I want you to know that yes, like there is a productive nature about what it means to be human. You were given a job before you sent into the world, but you are also deeply loved by God and we work out of assurance of who we are and what we are, not as a response to earning anything. Anyways, all of that training is taking place and they do this wandering, wandering, wandering around the desert for 40 years. And right just prior to going into the land, the, the, whoever put it together Deuteronomy said, that's when Moses gathered the people together to retell the story to them to kind of bring them into a moment and say, listen, we're gonna have this collective uh, memory session together about where we came from and what events led up to the point as to why we are now here, because that will inform how we move forward uh, in this way. And so over and over and over again in Deuteronomy, you see this phrase, so your eyes have seen, 
Your eyes have seen how God heard your cries out as a slave people in Egypt and and begging for liberation. And your eyes have seen how he called Moses out of the desert and out of a life that, you know, he had kind of walked away from and back into this. Your eyes have seen how Pharaoh resisted and hardened his heart, but then the plagues begin to take place and he began to shift his his mentality. Your eyes have seen how the Red Sea opened up and and we walked through on dry ground and then it collapsed and, 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 and killed all the Egyptians chasing us. Your eyes have seen, your eyes have seen, your eyes have seen, this collective memory, rehashing these moments and re-energizing these. And, and we see this uh, in modern day movies too. Think of your, your favorite like sports movie as a kid or whatever. And somewhere in the locker room, whoever the protagonist is stands up and he's like, Kyle, you remember when we started training? You remember, David, you remember when we did this? And they're, and they're nodding. And all of a sudden, like the emotion, the music and the soundtrack kind of builds up and builds up. And it's like this ownership. It's like this, we're all buying into this mentality. Before we go and win this thing in the, in the second half or whatever, we're getting on the same page and, and, and moving forward together, operating out of a sense of this is where we're at and this is how we got here and this is what it's all about. So this is, this is I'm gonna read a section of this uh, that shows up in chapter six uh, of Deuteronomy. And this is known uh, in Jewish heritage as the Shema. This is like, the thing. They would recite this at mealtime. This would be their, if you grew up like knowing John three sixteen, that was the one verse that you knew, uh, this would be their version of that. De- Deuteronomy chapter six, verses four through six is like the passage, the Shema. We, we know this. Here's what it says. Hear Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your being and with all your might. And these words that I charge to, uh, you today shall be upon your heart and you shall rehearse them to your sons and speak of them when you sit in your house and when you go on the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be circlets between your eyes and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and in your gates. These would be things that we know, we collectively know we do this. And what would happen is they took some of this seriously. They would, they would wear these little um, amulets around their, their necklace, their, uh, as like a necklace of sorts. And inside would be a scroll with the 10 commandments on it. Or if you've ever gone to Jerusalem and seen on the doorposts of their house, they have these little brackets with little um, rolled up scrolls of the 10 commandments. They, this is their way of saying, we reenact this. We collectively remember this. Sabbath, it's, or I mean, pa- Passover itself was a festival of collective memory. We get together, we break bread in the way to say we always remember uh, the bread that we baked the day that God led us out of Egypt. It hadn't risen, we didn't even have time for that. We, we drink the wine, which is a, a sign of the tears of the Egyptians uh, as they lost their family members who did this. We, we, we do this. And then what happens is even for us today, as, as a church in modern day today, we operate in the, through sacraments of communion. The close of every series, we reenact. We do this collective memory. I'll say from the front, I'll say, hey, we're doing communion today. We've got some people that are gonna come up. There's going to be stationed on the right or left. And and we remember, what what are we remembering? That God made a statement about his love for his people a long time ago. We never have to question where we stand with God. He sent his son to die on a cross for us. And so you're going to come up, you're going to, we're not doing it today, so I'm going to stop the spiel, but you know what I'm talking about. It's this collective energy. It's this collective remembering in this way. And I think that this is so critically important uh, to move forward. There, there, um, what I would say of, of methodology, I've given you the why, the motivation, but here's what you need to do. You, you're in a relationship, it feels more like roommates. You're in a relationship, the rope is starting to fray, but you're committed to making sure you hold on and, and move forward with it. I think one of the big steps, one of the early steps needs to be something along these lines of recalling this collective memory about where we came from and why we are here. Right now, my wife and I are... Um, are leading a, uh, a couples group uh, on Sunday evenings. And um, we, we, we've been going through this book together and in this, uh, this, this kind of teaching from Gottman thing. Um, 
Anyways, uh, that it talks about the, the death knell of every relationship is this idea of contempt. When you have contempt for this other person, when, when, you, when, when everything is cynical, when I refuse to see the good side and I only see the bad side of things, that is contempt in a relationship. And watch out, there is so much work to be done there. You're, you're in dire straits when I can't think of one positive thing about you in this moment. Why is it that I resort to always the negative in this? Why is it that anything that's neutral when everybody else, if we had a, did a poll of 10 people in the room, maybe like five or six would be like, well, I can see what he was saying there. I can see what she meant by that. Why do I lean negative? Why do I always assume the worst in that? That is a, that is a, a really like, that's a death knell, right? He calls it the four horsemen in the book. But uh, this is, this is and, and instead this idea of fondness and admiration are the antidotes to contempt and contempt is the death knell of, uh, of all interpersonal relationships. Fondness and admiration. Why is it that when we first started, my default would be fondness and admiration, and now it's cynicism and skepticism and, and contempt? How, how did we get to this spot? Why, why, why can I not, how do I overcome? How do I overcome this cynicism? I get to the spot where I think fondly and admirably about you and what you do and your actions uh, towards me or towards our family or whatever in this way or, or, or in this relationship. Uh, and it may feel like a fruitless endeavor in that current moment, just so you know, right? If we were to sit down at that table uh, and, and having coffee and it's, everything's a mess and you're going, and I would say, well, what, what do you find fond or admirable about this other person? You'd be like, nothing, that's why I'm here, right? Um, I would say, I totally understand that, I get that. Um, then the question would be, let's work backwards from this. Let's start earlier. Let's not, let's not go here. My guess is it hasn't always been that way. Otherwise, you know, you wouldn't be here, right? Because if, if at one point you've never felt fond or admirable about this person, then why would you have ever dated? Why did you have said yes to a second date? Or why would you say yes to hanging out? Or let's be best friends. Let's buy necklaces. And you'd be like, I don't even know you. I, I don't think fondly of you. Um, so at some point you did. So let's practice and engage either in isolation by yourself, but hopefully together. I mean, the goal is for me, what I own is not your response to, to, to do this. What I can own up to is my responsibility is how I react in the relationship and, and me moving away from contempt and towards fondness and admiration. So I, I can work on me and hopefully you can do this together. But, but if we work on this together, perhaps we can both get there. Um, and I remember where it is that we came from and what it once looked like to have fondness and admiration for you. So my, my homework, if we were having coffee, would be like, go home, think about this uh, and, and work on this. Hopefully together, maybe in isolation, asking ourselves the question or yourself the question, how did we get here? Now, this first question is difficult. There's a tonal quality that's important because you can ask this question in a very negative way that is gonna steer the conversation sideways immediately, right? Um, how did we get here? My God, you know what I mean? But like, there also is a, a very, we're setting the tone for, let's talk about, everything to this point, right? How did it all start? How did it pick up speed? How did we adjust to life a little bit? And these are just questions that could work. I mean, not necessarily, you don't have to go one, two, three. Um, how did we enter into new seasons? Like this season of we, we, we moved, we, we started having kids, we got new jobs, we got new this. Um, you got, we were best friends and then you got married. And so that's a new season where like you're spending time with him and, and yet, you know, we're supposed to be doing this. What did that look like? 
I'm, I'm replaying this. I'm having this collective memory. I'm going back. I'm recalling how the Red Sea parted and we walked through all these good times where we thought there is no hope for this. And then something happened and we're like, that was really good. That was like really encouraging. We, we knew exactly like God leading the way through a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day. Like his presence was obviously here. We knew exactly who he was and where he was leading us. Like for them, that was a, a, an assurance of something. Like life was so much simpler in that moment. So I, I'm going through that now. And I, I want to remind ourselves when life was simpler, when we didn't question whether our, our motives, what, what's your motive for saying that? Or why, why did you ask that? Or why, we, we, we wouldn't lean contempt. We wouldn't lean cynical. We would lean positive. Why? What is something that was hard that we somehow got through together? Now, here's what I'm not expecting as a result of you doing this. An email on Monday that says, thanks, that was perfect. That was it. Everything's great. I don't, cancel the series. Don't need anything more. Move it from a four-part series to a one-part series. Um, that'd be great, but... I don't think that it's gonna solve everything. But I think it's a pretty good place to start. I think if you're committed to this, getting on the same page in terms of a collective memory feels like a solid place to start. And I so desperately want this for you because here's what I know. When your marriage is a wreck, when those core relationships, when this is, this is a person that we were gonna be friends for life, when that is a mess, then it shapes and shades everything, other area. So you coming into this community and me saying, hey, we're gonna do this series, we're gonna go this route and we're gonna do this thing. Your mind is completely on this. We have, this is worth our time and our effort because relationships are worth it. Companionship is worth it. These core principle relationships are worth whatever time, effort, money, energy, attention you want to throw at it. Absolutely. And we start, we start by going, let's get on the same page collectively about where we came from and where this is at to see if it's something we can move forward from, from here. So I know it's simple and you, you might be sitting there going, I already did that. We already did that. And it's, it's still a mess. That's why there's four parts to this series. I don't know. That's why I'm not good at this stuff. I shouldn't be counseling people. I understand that. I, I, I'm, I'm simply approaching this from, this is what a people group did. And I think it's a healthy place to begin to start. And there's four parts and there's people who are far more qualified, which is why you should come back next week to hear my parents and the counselor move forward with that. But let, just so you know, um, like my heart, our heart goes out to the, the frayed rope, the fraying rope, uh, whatever. And again, we want this church to be a place of healing. We want relationships that are developed here to be one that speak life into this. The may, we don't have a magic potion, Jesus potion that does a prayer that, that solves them, the, all, all the problems and, and makes all the things go away. Um, if I did, we'd be a bigger church. You know what I mean? Um, but... I do know God is a very big God and uh, he sees it all too and uh, loves you like crazy and hates when you're going through pain um, and wants, uh, wants the best for both of the people involved in this relationship moving forward. So that I can assure you of, that, can, that I can guarantee you of. Can I guarantee you that there's 
life in this relationship moving forward? No. But I can guarantee you that there is a God who loves and cares and sees and, and knows and feels and um, is with you watching you hold the rope and probably in some senses wanted something different for you. Um, and uh, I know in every sense wants something for you moving forward. So that is my offer and that is my prayer and that is where we're at moving forward. So next week, come here from somebody far more qualified in terms of years under their belt. Let's pray. Father, our prayer is that you would uh, help us to interpret this however this works uh, for us and whatever relationships that we've seen being, you know, falling apart and feeling a little bit more like something not that we signed up for. And uh, we ask that you would grant us wisdom, care, that you would grant us attention on, on our behalf too, is that you see us, that you know us, that you feel our pain, that we're not doing this alone. That is one of the most isolating worst feelings ever is to, again, not have a point to why I do anything in life, which comes, comes to vocation. And then am I doing this alone? Is this uh, completely uh, a lonely endeavor? And I don't think any of those things are true. And for those things to affect us in big, significant ways that we just can't seem like, I don't know why I can't shake it. Um, I think your scripture speaks clearly. There is a reason for that because you were created uh, that way. You're created with those needs in your life, our, our, those needs in our life, uh, and that you offer a way forward for us. So give us wisdom to know what that looks like in our life, courage to do something about it in your name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If you've got more questions about the church or community group options for connecting with East Lakers outside of Sunday mornings, I'd encourage you to check out our website, eastlaketricities.com, or better yet, download our app by searching East Lake Tri-Cities in your favorite app store.